Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Alex Felice. Thanks for being on the show, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. Alex has been a real estate investor since 2014, starting with buying distressed single-family homes during the foreclosure boom and turning them into rentals. Once building a single-family portfolio became boring, in 2019, Alex decided to purchase a 24-unit multifamily property. Then in 2020, he purchased a 52-unit through syndication. Alex was previously a risk analyst in the underwriting department for an SBA lender in Las Vegas, and lately he has been flipping home so he doesn't have to go back to work for someone else. He's also a U.S. Army veteran. Alex, thank you for your service, first and foremost, and thank you for your time being on the show. Yeah. (laughs) Why don't you get us started a little bit about your path to your first syndicated deal, and then let's talk about some things in business, some things that you are doing that have helped you to get there. Yeah, I started with single family homes because that's all I could handle at the time. When I started this, I was, you know, a knucklehead who was trying to turn his life around. And single family homes tr- helped me tremendously. I learned, you know, some of the processes, lending. But, you know, as you know very well, single family doesn't scale. And so there's a pretty low ceiling in terms of velocity of money and economic efficiency for single family homes. And I figured that out, I guess, pretty quickly. I got eight of them. By the seventh, eighth one, I knew that the end was near for that asset class. And so, I don't know, I started looking. I, don't, I didn't have that many resources and I don't have a big network of investors so much, but you build along the way. I do a lot of social media. I do a lot of content production. You build along the way. So I went out, reached out and looked for a 24 unit. I JV'd it because it was only a million bucks and it seemed like a lot of work to do a syndication for four people, five people. When I found the 52 unit, I knew right away I had to syndicate it because it was going to be a lot more resources to accumulate. And I wanted to get the experience of the complexity of that type of deal because, you know, I kind of have the gist of it now. So now I'm deadly. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome that you didn't quit, you know, with the first single families and and that you knew that even at seven or eight that, hey, this this is just not scalable. And then you jumped to the 24 and then even to the 52 unit. You know, how did you learn how to syndicate? You know, doing the single family is such a different ballgame. I feel, you know, doing single family versus syndicating a large deal. How did you learn that process? Wow, that's a good question. I don't actually know. I don't remember if I looked at any single resources. I network a lot. And so you want to learn how to syndicate. It's like, go hang out with syndicators. The processes aren't that complicated. And once you understand real estate, I guess, and how the overall the meta theme of of investing in real estate works. The syndication is just a nuanced technical process, but I, I don't think it's overly complicated. Once you kind of get the gist, there are complicated, you know, teeny little nuanced pieces of, you know, waterfalls and preferred returns and things like this. But the process isn't that difficult. I hung out with people that I know. There's plenty of people who make fantastic content, such as yourself, that can teach people. And I brought on a partner who had done it. That helps. And, you know, just spend time learning it, spend a little time learning it or spent a lot of time learning it. Then then the other half of it is kind of like, you know, jump in the deep end and figure it out along as you go. I had a syndication attorney. I don't remember who we used that made sure we were doing the right thing. We had a guy on the team who had done it to make sure that we were doing the right thing. The rest of it is kind of like, 
hey, make sure the deal is good and then stumble your way through it, I suppose. I don't know if that's good advice or not. That's just what I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is about your team. I'm glad you mentioned at least a syndication attorney, a securities attorney. You need one of those for sure. But anyway, no, it's not extremely complicated, but most just don't get started and stick with it and get to where you're at, you know, to get up to the 52 unit. Any other tips, just even on the business side, anything like that that helped you to get to that first syndicated deal? What you said is kind of what I, I don't, I'm not a quitter. And I don't say that as some kind of, I'm not trying to brag. It's more like my personality is one that I just grind away at things. And so I like the next challenge. And so the 52 unit was a difficult challenge for me. And it's like, oh, well, let's just, that's the next hardest thing. And that's what I move toward. That's my whole life. It's just, what's the thing that's out of your comfort zone? That's what you got to do. Nothing else really matters. And so now I'm looking at going to, you know, doubling it. I'm looking at going to try and go to 120 unit or bigger. And it's just one of those things where inevitably it'll happen because, well, it's the only thing I'm thinking about. And I got 60 years. So it's, it's, an, it's an inevitability that I'll be able to close one of those deals. So education, if things are difficult for you to understand, that's probably the correct path for you to move forward to. If you understand something really like really well and really deeply and really easily, then you already know it. So go learn the next hardest thing. So that's kind of how I move forward on it. How did you raise the money for the 52 unit? I asked every warm body that I've ever had a conversation with in my whole life. How did you ask them? Were they, was that through an email? Was that a phone call? Was that 20 people? Was it a hundred? Was it five? Yeah, it was, it might've been a hundred people. What I did was before we even came near a deal, I knew I was going to do a 506B. I don't have the network to do a 506C. So I said, like, okay, I got to ask people I know. So I started before, six months before I even went on a contract, I just started talking to everybody and like just doing the, hey, I'm about to buy this kind of deal. This is kind of what I'm looking for. And this is what kind of returns and this is how it's going to work. And just like getting people both a little half educated into what I'm doing or half educated on what's going to happen. And then half like, hey, I'm about to get them ready. So it's like preparation meets education. This is what I'm going to do. And this is how you're going to fit in. And I just did that for six months. I probably should have talked to more people once I got into the thing, because as again, you probably well know, 60, 70% of pledged money backs out when it comes time to write the check. So I do a lot of content on the internet. I'm loud on the internet. So people know what I'm doing. I'm good about telling people what I do. And so that was just a preparation game. Just yell as loud as you can. I'm going to buy multifamily and I can help you make money. I did that for six months. And then when we went on a contract, I pretty much had it locked in. It was $1.4 million raise. It was difficult for me. I will not, I won't even sugarcoat it. That was difficult for me, but we nailed, we closed it. By the end, we were kind of on a time crunch, but at the end, I had a little bit of a small oversubscribe. So I was very happy about that. Good for you. That's awesome. Congratulations, especially the first one. 1.4 million there. There's not many that can do that on their first syndication. So congratulations. And so you mentioned being loud on the internet. Would you break that down a little bit? Like, what did that look like? I get questions all the time. Obviously, I'm pretty loud on the internet as well, but not as loud as, as many. And so what was your method there or maybe cadence or things like that so people knew who you were and trusted you? This is a whole podcast in and of itself, but I'll try to be brief. I think most people don't post on the internet because they overthink it. They go, oh, I don't know what to say. And I'm like, just tell people you want to buy like real estate. And I don't mean like sell it, just tell them, hey, this is what I'm gonna do. Wake up in the morning, tell them every single day. You know, you're loud on the internet. I can tell because you do one of these every day. That's loud, right? That's loud. And so people, they post once in a while, they're apprehensive about it. And so I think people need two things. They need to post what they think as soon as it comes in their mind. Just, oh, this is what I think. Say it, send it off in the world. And then the second thing is people, I think, try to do too much marketing and not enough individuality. 
And so my posts are probably 30% real estate. The rest of it is just, I'm a camera, you know, I'm a photographer. So I got, you know, post about camera or content. So individuality, you know, social media is social. Post a lot, post what you think, even if it's not always a great, you know, hey, look, some of mine miss. I'm not always in work mode, but it's about sticking in people's minds, posting all the time, all the time. And the other thing I do is I post a lot of content that helps. Hey, look, I closed this deal. So here's 3,500 words on what I learned. Now you can, now that might help you. And so that, that gives me deep credibility. So the combination of three, it works well to me. Yeah. So individuality, you know, it's interesting. Think through that. What does that look like for you on social media and blasting out? You say, you know, post what you think, like put it out there. I guess it's often throughout the day, I just think of things that, hey, I could, I could share that or, hey, I could do a little clip on that. And how do you, I guess, connect then with people? How do they, you know, how does that and those investors reach back out to you? How do you nurture that relationship? So social media is an interesting little experiment because you'll post something and you might get some feedback in public, some, you know, comments, whatever. But what I find is, you know, social media is a tool to get people to message you. And so the relationship is built over text or over message or over, you know, DM essentially. So my goal with social media is to kind of reach people who don't really want to talk to me in public. They want to talk to me privately. And so I sort of bridge that gap, right? I, I have that in mind, I guess. I don't really know if I do. I don't know what I, how I would do it, how I could explain how I talk that way. The idea is, hey, if you say these things and you entice people, a lot of people are too, for the same reason that they're not being allowed on the internet, for the same reason, they're shy to go off and post in public and respond to you in public, but they will I probably have maybe a 10% comment ratio, but I have 10 times as many people DM. So most of my stuff happens behind the scenes that you don't really see. Or what's really funny is conferences. People will see you post, see me post on Facebook for months and months and months and months and never say anything to me. And then when I see them in person, they're like, dude, I love your feed. It motivates me. I learn stuff. And so that's another part of it is we're like, dude, people don't realize you have an impact on people when you post on social media more than it's directly felt. And so I believe in that process and that's part of it. I've experienced that myself, Alex. I mean, it's like you post and post and post and people, yeah, they say something to you later, they direct message you, I get those often, but you never see them like or comment anything. And so it's interesting how that happens, but you're still helping people and connecting in a big way. What about your just plans for scaling and growth moving forward? What does that look like? So I'm trying not to get caught up into the egomania of real estate syndicators. And I'm sure you know exactly what I mean, right? I got to get 150 units this year. I got to get 600 units this year. I got to get to 1,000 units. I'm really trying to not fall into that trap. So my goal right now is I want to do one a year and I want it to be bigger than the one before that. Going off just off the lessons that I learned from the last one and just kind of moving forward and not trying to... I'm not trying to compete. I'm trying to just... Go slow, learn, stabilize these assets, give really good returns to my investors, preserve their capital, and then, yeah, buy one a year. That's the plan. If it goes faster than that, I feel comfortable. I'm happy to go faster. But right now, I'm trying not to stress. These are stressful for me. I don't know if they're stressful for everybody. These deals are stressful for me. So I don't need additional stress just to make a little bit extra money. That's not my why. My why is freedom. And so every time I'm trading freedom for stress, just to get paid a little more. It's like, no, I mean, if you buy, I figure if I buy one of these a year, the money's going to work with itself way right out. I'm not going to have too many problems. So right now we're going to gear up. We stabilize this one. It's been about 90 days. It's going better than I had expected. We're beating our projections. I think we're going to start looking for, you know, 120 units in our area, North Carolina. And over the next six months, I'm looking to hopefully find something I like and move towards closing it judiciously. And then I'll 
you know, and then I'll either reassess and I'd like to get to where I'm doing. Yeah. 250 unit A classes in prime areas. That's kind of where I see the opportunity that I like. What are some things you're doing right now that are getting you, you know, to that goal? You know, I tell people often, like, think about where you want to be a year from now, and then let's like reverse engineer it. Let's think about what's it going to take to get there? What should you be doing every month and week and even today? What does that look like for you? So I'm looking at multifamily in four parts, acquisition, asset management, underwriting, and capital raise. And the capital raise, I kind of sort of feel like I'm much more confident that I can do that better going forward. So I'm not wicked focused on capital raise. Right now, it seems like everybody in the world has liquidity. So it's not the, the, the weakness. The weakness is acquisitions. And so what I'm trying to do is create a system now with my main partner. He helps me do the underwriting. And what I'm trying to do is get a system where we can find potential leads. We're going to create a little program that'll do levels of underwriting depending on how much financials we have. And so what I'd like to do is start looking at way more deals. So that's my goal. If I can look at more deals, then I know I can close more deals. If I can look at more deals, then I know I can use those to raise potential money from investors. Like, hey, what about this one? Hey, what about this one? Hey, what about this one? So we're going to create a system to do faster underwriting. And then we're going to create a better... We need to work on our CRM system. I have an email list through my website, brokerschoice.com. But it's more of like, it's like a personal website. And it wasn't really set up for that. So I was able to do email blasts and raise a lot of money. And I'm thankful for that. But I'm going to lean on that a little bit harder. So systemization of what we're already doing so that we can include some scale. Look at more deals, practice analyzing more deals, send more deals out to potential investors, and just get that workflow going. And then I figure, my hope is, you'll find one you like. (laughs) You know, We'll be able to underwrite it quickly. We'll be able to raise the money quickly. And that's the plan. Any of the tips there as far as how you're going to find these deals to build that process? Or I mean, find them in the first place? No, not really. Everybody in the world is looking for deals right now. So I'm doing the only thing I know, which is telling the world that I'm looking for deals. We'll hopefully be able to pay you know, acquisition fees to people who can help us find it. And networking with brokers, You know, just trying to, again, be loud. Hey, look, I'm buying. I'm buying. I'm buying. If you find something, I'm buying. I'm just, my process with people is just annoy them until they give you what you want and then I'll go away. What's been the most challenging part of the syndication business for you? Ooh, mm, that's a tough one. The, the most difficult part. These things stress me out. I'm trying to work through it in my head. These stress me out because I don't know that I can do them. So I guess it's a lot of it is fear of the unknown and then going past that in, like as an internal, like internally being like, hey, I, I believe that I can do this and then moving forward with that confidence. Because what I found in these is when I don't have confidence that I can do it, then how am I going to go sell my investors that I'm a good bet? It's like, I don't even know if I can do this. How can I promise you I'm going to make your 10%? So I think part of it is just getting like that momentum on the first, you know, the first 52 was a syndication with the, the 24 unit was a JV, but in terms of deal size, they were both difficult. So I think kind of grinding through that and getting my feet wet and getting the confidence that I can do on, that's really the hardest part. I should have brought partners in on the first one to help me. So a lot of it we did alone, which is not smart, not prudent. But yeah, getting the confidence to know that I can do it, that's, that was the hardest part for me. You know, since you started with the single family, you got up seven or eight of those, you saw the, you know, the end was near, you said, and, and you wanted to scale. You know, and now to where you're at now, you closed you know, two larger multifamily projects and moving forward, hope to do bigger. What would you have done different you know, in the beginning or would you have done anything different? That's a good question. I hear this question all the time on podcasts in some form, whether it's like, would you do this different? What would you do if you could start all over? I think life is an interesting journey. I know that if from an efficiency of money standpoint, skipping single families is the right way to go. But 
I didn't have the confidence to go off and buy multifamilies when I first started. I barely had the confidence now. I didn't have the resources, the network, the financials, the credibility to do any of those things. So I think for me, I don't think I could have changed anything. I mean, maybe, but I, hey, that's not how life works. So I don't think I could have changed anything. I started with what I thought was the hardest challenge that I could approach at the time. And interestingly enough to this question, the better you get, the more you realize, I think everybody realizes they could have probably gone bigger which is the right lesson to learn, but I wouldn't go back and change the past if I could. I think it, I think it had to be that way. Yeah, no, I'm similar in that. I wish I could have gone you know, bigger properties earlier on, but that doesn't always happen that way. But how do you prepare for a downturn? So you're looking at this next 120 unit deal. You know, how do you prepare for a downturn when, when looking at that deal? So I actually, I'm a bookaholic and I've spent the last few years researching, studying macroeconomics and the 2008 collapse pretty significantly. The problem is, what is the downturn? What specifically happened in the downturn? In the 2008 collapse, you had a poison pill in the mortgage-backed securities all the way in the Fannie Mae system. But that's not what's going to happen in the next time. The next time, something else is going to happen. So preparing for a downturn that I don't know what it's going to look like is very difficult. Part of what I've done is I invest in a town that's Fayetteville, North Carolina. It's outside of a military base. And so we live in a market that is the primary employer is the federal government. So unlikely to lose jobs in economic volatility. I also buy properties that are slightly below market rents. So in a downturn, when rents come down, they will come down as a function of a mathematical thing called regression to the mean. And so my rents are you know, $850 or $900. Well, they're not going to go to $400, but the $1,400 rents might come down to $900. And so I try to get something that's slightly below average market rents, which in my town are about $1,000 or $1,100, so that I can withstand a little more you know, of that volatility. Other than that, I'm trying to go slow. I'm trying to go prudently. I'm not waiting for a collapse. I'm also not, I'm trying to avoid rushing into the mania just to do something that a lot of people are, I think are buying because it's popular and there's not that many deals and you have to pay up for deals. So I think it's easy to get caught up in that trap. Like, Hey, if you want to play, then you're going to have to basically pay up. And that's a slippery slope. So I'm trying to go slow. Preservation of capital is number one. I'm trying not to buy properties that I'm trying to buy properties that cash flow. And I'm trying to play the long game, right? I don't, you know, there's going to be a crash, but there's probably going to be five or six crashes in the rest of my life. So I'm not so much worried about this one as much as, much as I am devising a way of life that will let me go through all the crashes. Now, that's some great answers there as far as thinking through a downturn. And even, even the thought that you just said, you know, there's probably going to be five or six more downturns in our lifetime. And it's just, you know, it's interesting to think, okay, we have to figure out how to navigate a downturn, not just, you know, wait until it's over, right? Because then it, it'd probably be too late by the time you think it's over, potentially. But do you have any predictions, Alex, just for our, the real estate market over the next six to 12 months? I've been predicting hyperinflation was coming for two, three years. I was like, well, the Fed in 2017, I thought the Fed should have raised rates. They did. And then they got spooked because the market didn't like that. So then they, they dropped the rates back down and they basically boxed themselves into a place where they can't raise the rates and they're printing money. And my hope is that Jerome Powell knows better, but we all thought Greenspan knew better. And then he went on to the into C-SPAN and said, oh, the market doesn't really work the way I thought it worked for 40 years. Okay, so all that. I worry about inflation. I think that's going to be very good for asset owners or debt owners who have fixed rate debt, people who own real estate. So I think it'll be good for us. I also think it's going to exacerbate real estate prices in a 
hard to predict way. I think real estate is going to continue to boom for the next six to 12 months to answer your question. I also think we're going to have problems with inflation. So rents will increase and we are creating a pain for future date, but not in the next six to 12 months. What about any daily habits that you have, Alex, that you are disciplined about that have helped you achieve success? Read books, bro. Read books. Read books about economics and history. Great advice. Read, read, read. Read, read, read. Constant education. And what would you say earlier? Like when preparation meets education, you were talking about that. I thought that was, that was good. Yeah, it's good stuff. Preparation meets education, but are you educated? How are you educating yourself and consistently? Well, what about, what's your best source right now for meeting new investors? I do a lot of local networking. That's important. I also create content. So I make a little video series for Bigger Pockets called Meet the Investors. And I travel around the country now, and I've done three seasons, North Carolina, DC, and Indianapolis. That's a great way. I post on the internet a lot. I do a lot of outreach if I, you know, I post in groups. I do a lot of podcasts like this. I co-host a podcast called From Military to Millionaire. I hopefully conference is going to open up this year and then I'm going to be at every single one of them. <laughs> Meeting people across the country is my number one investing tactic because I'm of the opinion that money doesn't show up in nature. Money is a man-made invention. So anytime you want to make money in your whole life, it's going to come from another human being. So all I really invest in is human beings. What about the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Those two things, education, networking, for sure. And to be fair, I'll give myself the Federal Reserve. I mean, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have been so lucky with all my properties using fixed rate, mostly government-backed Fannie and the 52 unit was a Freddie debt and the eight single families are Fannie debt. Fixed, government-backed and low interest rates. So I'm incredibly lucky to be investing since 2000. And anybody who's been investing since 2010 has had a giant government subsidy helping them out. And I'm very thankful for it. And how do you like to give back? I try to be very generous with people that I know. I'm not so big on blanket charity to organizations, but I try to be very charitable with time and resources and really charitable with my social circle and as big as I can make that. Nice. Well, Alex, grateful to have, I know you had said that maybe we'd met at a conference before, but I'm grateful to connect again and to have you on the show and just hear your story going from single family to JVing a 24 unit to syndicating your first deal, a 52 unit, and then just and being able to raise that much money. I just want to congratulate you too, or thank you for your service, but congratulate you for being able to raise 1.4 million on your first syndication like that. There's not many that can do that. And so I think that's a big accomplishment, but just your desire to be consistently educating yourself and being prepared. And I think it's, you know, it will lead to bigger deals and more investors and all those things. So thank you again. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, I have run a website, personal site called brokeisachoice.com. Brokeisachoice.com. You can check me out there. I do a lot of Facebook and Instagram. It's just my name, Alex Scott Felice. And my YouTube page for, well, my Bigger Pockets YouTube that I've been working on. I put a lot of work into it. In the mean, since I've been doing real estate, I picked up photography and videography. So I do a lot of content creation that way for Bigger Pockets and, and for myself. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.